we were uh, doing an Easter message in 2020, which means that we were actually just uh, giving a message to a camera. So, so much better that you're here in front of us today. So, uh, praise God for that. Um, and actually, one take this one time. One take, yeah. It was like 20 takes last time or something ridiculous. <laughs> I had to come back telling our wives, sorry, we spent so many hours. We couldn't get it right. Um, but yes, today we're together. And maybe next time it will be uh, at the church weekend away. Yeah, and I think still using these. You think so? Yeah, Westlife. Oh no. <laughs> we're talking talent show, of course, Saturday yeah. night, 24th and 26th of March, get in your diaries. Uh, and the big night being the 25th. Definitely. <laughs> All right, should we, um, we're going to start with a video. And uh, it should be coming on in a little sec. Here we go. love anyone enough to give them your last roller. Soft golden toffee in a milk chocolate cup. I don't know if you remember those adverts. I remember those adverts. Um, most of you probably weren't born. Um, that was from 1994 and that was Rollo's thing, right? So advert after advert. Uh, do you love anyone enough to give them your last Rolo? Um, those of you who aren't married, beware. That is uh, actually what's supposed to happen. You're supposed to start sharing your lives, including your last chocolates. Um, and there is definitely judgment if you don't, okay? Um, even what to watch on Netflix and how to spend your money. Yeah. Make sure you're ready for true love because true love looks like that. Okay, um, actually, in all seriousness, we do want to think about what it looks like for us to be people who are generous, really generous to one another. Um, and when the church was first born in Jerusalem, a community of Jesus followers who began living this kind of self-sacrificial generosity uh, that I think in so many ways would be quite difficult to comprehend. So we're going to read it out to you from Acts 4 verses 42 to 40, uh, 32 to 37. So this is a first, first ever church, okay? And uh, here is what we see they're doing. It says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land or houses, sold them and bought, brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as one had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Pretty radical, eh? Wow. Yes. Radical living. Radical living. It was, it was shared possession. It was giving to the extent that there was no one in the community that had any needs. They were selling their land. They were selling their houses. It was, it was so radical. And if we were to say, come on guys, let's all do this. 
Let's all do this. Let's sell our houses. Let's sell our businesses. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's start distributing it. How many of you are a little bit squirmish in your seat right now? Makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. Really? You're saying sell my house? Really? Hmm. You see, it seems like the sort of level of sharing that you'd have in a marriage, doesn't it? But praise God, the good news is that in the New Testament, we see that generosity shouldn't be something that we do under compulsion. Just because we're supposed to do it, but instead, we do it for the generosity of our hearts. You see, the Bible says that God is looking for us to be cheerful givers. Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. You see, the way these Jerusalem believers was so radical at the time, um, it would be unbelievably radical still today. In fact, if we go beyond that, you would think that's just not achievable. You know, this feels so out of reach today, doesn't it? Really? I'm going to sell my stuff and we're all going to share? I'm going to give away my money so there's no need? It's just radical, radical stuff. Yes. But if we want to get a little bit further and what it means to be generous in this kind of radical way of self-sacrificing love, <laughs> we'll get there. Um, then we need to start by receiving. Generosity starts by receiving. I wonder if you've ever been in debt. I wonder if you've had that guilt that you feel when you're in debt, that heaviness that you feel, that sense of burden, inability to pay it back. And I wonder even be in debt now, and maybe you're in debt to someone who you know. Maybe it's personal. I kind of, kind of hate it. <laughs> How you doing? Hi. <laughs> a trip for the kids. That's so exciting. Um, but hey, maybe maybe you've experienced what it is to have that kind of debt, that kind of personal debt, and actually it's so much heavier because you know them. Because you know that it makes an impact on them. Now, whether you've been in financial debt before or not, every single one of us has been in spiritual debt. And actually, it's personal. We've all owed our maker. There's not one of us that's not had spiritual debt in our lives. We owed him, even though he was forever faithful and loving towards us. We've sinned against God and we owe him a mountain of debt, a debt we could never, ever pay. But, in total contrast to that, God owed nothing. He owed nothing spiritual or nothing material. You see, the angels declare that he is holy, holy, holy. And in Psalm 24, the psalmist says that all the earth is the Lord's and all the things therein. You see, God is without without sin. He has never been in debt, ever. He has never lacked. In his perfect holiness, he owes nothing to anyone. Yet, it is God himself who comes to us, enters into our total mess, and pays the price that we could never pay. You see, Romans 6, 23 puts it this way in this amazing passage. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians 1, 7 through 8 says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins 
in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. He is the only one to have ever lived who could ever pay that mountain of debt. And he did. When Jesus paid the price, he didn't simply pay and walk, though. It wasn't just a transaction, and then he disappeared. That's not what we see. He paid so we could enter into his family. He paid so we could be his people that he has purchased. He's totally benevolent, and so he is the only one who you want to have bought you. Sons and daughters of the God most high and inheritors of the kingdom were adopted into his family. He has said, come, call me dad by his spirit. Abba, father. He welcomes us into his creative purposes for the whole universe. He shares with us his rights as the son of God. Jesus has shared his inheritance rights with you. It couldn't be more lavish. It couldn't be more generous. Generosity must begin with the one who gives to us and he keeps on giving, the giver of good gifts. I've had the privilege of walking with a couple of people in my life who found themselves in debt and someone has come along and said, I'll pay the price. I'll pay it. It's not a loan. Consider it done. And each time there is a visible change to those people. You can see that the heaviness that was on them, maybe you didn't recognize what it was, but, it, but it's been shed and now there's this lightness because the debt is gone. When we put our trust in the price that Jesus paid, the weight of our sin and our shame is shed. But more than that, we have a new life. So it's not just that the price has been paid. We've been given something, something much better. We enter into the lavish grace of our loving Father, our relationship. One where he gives and gives and gives. From it comes a freedom and a lightness that we cannot even begin to comprehend. And actually the evidence of this new life is reflected even in our bank account. Maybe especially in our bank account. Do you remember Zacchaeus, the tax collector, working for the Romans, who needed to climb up a tree just so he could get a glimpse of Jesus when he was in town? Well, I don't know if you remember that the end of the story, it isn't just that he says, oh, I'm going to pay my debts back. He says, I'm going to pay four times over. Why? Because when you receive from the generosity of God, you want to be generous. Yeah. And that's why Jesus said, where your treasure is, so also is your heart. You see, if you look at your bank account today, if you have one of these modern banking apps like Monzo that categorize it into nice little bits for you, and you showed that to a friend who maybe doesn't know Jesus, are they going to look at it and say, whoa, your life is so different tonight. I can see where it all changed. I can see this moment where your financial giving kind of changed and the way that you spend your money changed. You see, how we save, how we spend, 
how we withhold money, how we invest money, all of it reflects what is most important to us. Now, before we talk about our response to God's generosity and how that works out for us as a church, we just need want to pause for a minute and say something super important, and it's this. If you aren't a follower of Jesus, this is not for you. We want you to, um, we want you to come and experience the lavish grace of God, but until that moment, there is no compulsion over you. Um, we want you to hear this today and think of it as something interesting, um, but nothing more. Um, but on the other hand, for those of us who have experienced that lavished generosity of God's mercy and grace in our lives, it is so right that we talk about what our generous response looks like for us as a church, but also for us as God's people. Yeah, and the way of handling money and possessions in the world, it, it kind of tends towards two different things, either self-centered spending or self-centered hoarding. And for many of us, there's that kind of swinging from one to the other. So you say, well, I'm not really either of those things. Well, maybe, or maybe just on some things you tend to walk towards one and then other things you tend towards the other and you kind of swing between the two. But the way of handling possessions and money in the kingdom of God is shockingly different. In a town called Bethany, Jesus was eating at Simon, at Simon, at Simon the leper's house, which says something about his generosity in the first place. Um, but then a woman comes up to him and she begins to pour out extremely expensive perfume on his feet. Do you remember the story? And people looked on and they were like, what is she doing? Maybe you would do that, especially in Scotland, right? What are you doing? That's nuts. What a waste. Jesus, how can you let her do that? But Jesus said, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. It was an act of love. What can look to us like a waste is actually to God beautiful. We've got to get it out of our stingy mindsets into the mindset of the kingdom and not go, what is she doing? But why wasn't that a beautiful thing? Rather than hoard, we want to give away to the glory of God. Pick up the selfless culture, uh, selfless culture in God's family and reject the selfish spending of hoarding in this world. And it, again, it could either be hoarding or it could be spending on all their own things. When we receive and experience the abundance of the generosity of God, we want to respond in kind and make are spending all about him. So we quoted earlier from Jesus in Matthew 6, where he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. But if you look at that verse again, you will notice that the tense is really interesting. It's in the future, isn't it? It says, will be. So what the church in Jerusalem was willing to do with its finances didn't only indicate where their hearts were currently, but it also shows where their hearts were going. It's true to say that hearts lead and money follow, but it's also true to say that money leads and our hearts follow. You say, for example, today you decide, I really want to go and sponsor a child through compassion. And you find out later that that child lives in Uganda 
Have you ever noticed when something like that happens, something on the news comes up about Uganda, and you think, oh, I'm connected to that place. I want to, like, understand a little bit more. See, as you financially give to something, you also give your heart to that cause as well. So not only were the people in Jerusalem so changed by the generosity of God's grace that they began to become a giving community, their hearts for God and the church were also growing with each gift that they gave. Yeah, so we want to respond with generosity. But the other thing we want to do is respond with faith. I mean, God's been so generous to us, and now we want to respond to him in worship. Generosity and faith, I think, are the two things that we really want to major on, certainly this morning. So, without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Hebrews 11.6. Our response in generosity actually depends on our response in faith. Like, what do we believe about God? The prophet Jeremiah lived through a dreadful time in the history of Israel. He preached and he preached with uncompromising, just clarity. And he was so bold and he kept going and he kept going and he kept going with almost no response. And as he was doing this, things didn't change. It got worse before it got much better, and he didn't get to see the fruit of it. And at one moment, you're reading through in Jeremiah 32, and you think, what's he doing? On, just outside of Jerusalem, the Babylonians have gathered, they're ready to invade. And uh, Jeremiah decides to buy a field. And in fact, evidence points to the, the fact that it's probably um, this field that he's going to buy is where the, the Babylonians are camped. Right? So he's literally got enemy soldiers on this field, and he goes, yep, yeah, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy this field. But surely it's going to be worthless. It's going to be occupied by the enemy. They're going to decide what to do with it. He's not going to get the profit from it. Why does he buy it? He's ridiculed. But Jeremiah had faith in God and his promises. He says, Houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. Jeremiah 32, 14 through 15. He acts in faith. And he's following in the adventure of faith that God has been bringing people on for hundreds of years before that. And is continuing to bring us on today. Hebrews 11, 8 tells us that Abraham, the father of faith, he went out to receive God's inheritance not knowing where he was going. How many of us need to know where we're going before we give to God? Instead of trusting him for what he is doing. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. So it is by faith that we continue on the mission of God. Believing him for what he wants to do in his church, in Glasgow, in Scotland, beyond. God has promised he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Do we believe God for that? Like Abraham and Jeremiah, by faith we trust God's promise and his promises are trustworthy. So we can rely on him. His purposes will prevail. I um, had a billion dollar note and I was really excited to show you it, but I have no idea where it is. And uh, 
I was a bit worried about bringing it because I thought you might want to try and mug me before I explained that it was a Zimbabwean $1 billion note and it was, uh, it, it was losing so much value that when it was printed, it lost more than double its value during the printing time. So it was worth, it's worth nothing today. Now, when we think about investing in the kingdom by faith, we know through Jesus, who's the firstborn from among the dead, that one day Jesus will return or take us home. In fact, both are imminent, could be imminent. Okay? That can happen at any time. So we expect that Jesus is going to return or at some point we die. Okay? And we go and we be with Jesus. And so we need to consider the currency that we are using. What is it really worth? And what currency should be worth something to us? The writer Randy Alcorn shows us a bit of perspective. He says, we are all nothing more than a dot in an eternal story. The currency of this world will one day be worthless. Every earthly investment will be gone. The kingdom of God, on the other hand, is a currency that we should invest in. Because there is everlasting worth to it. I, um, I want to help us to see that what we are spending our money on and what we are thinking about and what the world is telling us to spend all of our money on is not even a tiny bit worthy in comparison to the kingdom of God. John Tillotson, former Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, He who provides for this life but takes not care of eternity is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. Look, reality is, no matter how it might look now, we will one day be vindicated at the appearance of Christ if we are willing to give ourselves to the kingdom of God instead of this world. How do you invest? Are you investing into this world's economy, into things that will only fade away, or are you investing into God's economy, the everlasting kingdom? Jeremiah trusted God more than money. He trusted him for all that he needed in life and for what God will provide forever. But you only need to read the headlines today, don't you? You look everywhere, you read the headlines. At the moment, we are filled with fear about what we're about to go into. So, recession. We're now shrinking. The economy is shrinking. We're going to go into a long period of recession. The fuel crisis is going to significantly squeeze our finances this winter. Inflation will mean that we have got 10% less to spend this year than we had last year. The wider church in Scotland will continue to shrink, while across the world it continues to grow. And as we laid out our old church meeting back in September, we, we as a church have significantly more going out every month than we have coming in. Faith is robust enough to face the facts. Faith is not naive. Faith takes God at his word. This quote from Christian Nobel Prize winning scientist Francis S. Collins is so helpful. It says that faith and reason are not, as many seem to be arguing today, mutually exclusive and they never have been. See, one of the facts that we need to face into as a church, as a family, is that we have a monthly deficit. 
and it's quite a significant monthly deficit. Our income, roughly on an average, on a sort of average monthly perspective, is about six and a half thousand pounds, and our expenditures are around about nine thousand pounds. See, we seek to steward finances with godly wisdom, and we, we do that in various ways, including getting input from more experienced and other experienced leaders from within our movement at Churches Advance, as well as wider than that. Um, 16 months ago, with a healthy bank balance, and a, um, which really acted as a buffer, we, we took a decision of faith to employ Lewis um, three days a week as um, part of the church. And we also coupled alongside, we've had a scarcity of buildings, as we all know, we've been moving from building to building. Um, and, and the reality is that the costs have been higher than we anticipated. And God has provided. He has been so, so kind to us. We've never been stuck. Um, we have never had building issues where we are like, oh, we don't have anything for this Sunday. God has provided for us week in, week out. And Lewis is doing an incredible job and continues to do an incredible job. And, and I just want to be really clear that Lewis has been employed to help all of us to live a life of mission. See, this isn't about us just trying to like, get as many staff to build something. We are not about that. Part of Lewis's role is to equip the saints for ministry and the mission that God has here for us. Despite these challenges, we are full of faith. We are absolutely full of faith. We know that God is with us. We know it. And we are convinced that God has given us an opportunity to respond to him both in generosity and also in faith. Mm. Yeah, so we're going to face the facts, but we do so with faith and generosity. And... Um, so we just want to kind of help us all work out how we do this together. How do we respond? So from kids to students to singles to married, uh, people who are married to believers or unbelievers, uh, people who are single, uh, couples. This is a culture, a way of life adopted by a people totally changed by the generosity of God that we want to see develop. For each of us, this is going to look different. Okay? So this isn't the kind of thing that you, you kind of say, well, here's all the rules. Like, we're just going to do it like this. It's not how it works. It's actually about much more than that. And I hope you're picking up this is about the heart. And that is our deepest concern. Is that we, in our hearts, are responding to the generosity of God. At the end of the day, finances, yes, they matter. But that's not really what this is about. This is about how we're responding to God and what he's done for us. So, from giving away your last rollo to uh, opening up your home and giving generously to God, we should be marked as a people who are so generous and good stewards because we recognize the generosity of God and that all things are His. We are redistributing what is already His. Randy Alcorn again, in his book, The Treasure Principle, says this. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. So firstly, we just want to acknowledge those who are leading the way in giving in this church. There are some people who have blown our minds and are leading beautifully in generosity. Um, we had a student uh, once who gave away was it like four or five months of their of their um, of their rent yeah. Yeah. because during covid they didn't need to pay pay the rent and so they decided i'm just going to give this to the church i mean what a glorious way 
uh, to lead in generosity. Beautiful. We know people who are provide. We know that people are providing for those in need on a regular basis, on a monthly basis. Um, we know people uh, who have really given more than they could, than maybe the world would say that they can afford on different uh, different moments uh, during our church life. And we are. We just want to say thank you to all of you who are giving so faithfully like that and for leading the way in, in generosity. We think it's absolutely beautiful. Um, so thank you. But giving is for everyone. And actually growing in giving is good for us all. We can't just rely on a few. We've got we've to step up here together in faith. So as we finish up, here are six ways that we can raise our standard of giving. Great. So the first one is back to God. So do you remember back in Psalm 24 verse 1 that we read it earlier, everything belongs to God. Everything. Every single thing. And our, our giving begins by acknowledging that all that we have now and all that we will have in the future is a gift from God and it is for God. See the pay slips coming in, the gift from a friend, the student loan, the government benefit, whatever it is, it is all God's. Not ours. And our role is a really simple one. Our, our role is to steward that well. You see, we are called to be stewards, not owners. And that change of perspective should radically change the way that we start to give. We're not to be stingy people. We're not to be daily and wisely, knowing that what we give is simply an act of worship, giving back to God what is already it's a beautiful expression of how we worship God. So point one, we give back to God. Yeah, and the second thing is to the family. So Paul writes to Timothy that anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So in the same way, I think we should think similarly about our own church family. No explicit, but there's, I really need to be clear on this though, okay? So there's nothing explicit in the Bible that says you must give all of your offering to the local church but like we see in acts 4 the biblical pattern shows us believers laying down their offerings initially at the feet of the apostles and then to the churches and that those who labor in teaching and in leadership deserve their wage the apostle paul says the elders who direct the affairs of the church uh, are well are tears of the church well mm -hmm are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For scripture says, do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain and the worker deserves his wages. So giving to the family is giving in mission. It's giving to mission. To, it's not just giving to God, it's giving to his mission, to spiritual, the spiritual need of, that we see provided through gospel workers um, and beyond ourselves to other churches and to advance and um, all kinds of things that we are involved with. But it also is for providing the needs of the saints, other people in the church who have need and they can come to the leaders and if we ha have the income then we are able to distribute that back out uh, as a church. Great. The third thing is that we want to overflow elsewhere. So, so maybe you have a heart for a particular cause or a particular nation. We'd simply say to you, let your generosity overflow into it. Go for it. 
We don't want to be the kind of people that are wiggling our way out of paying for things. You know those friends when you're, when you're at the bar and you want to get a drink and they're like, oh, sorry, I forgot my wallet again. We don't want to be those people. We want to be people that are generous. We want to be overflowing at home. We want to be overflowing at the local mums and tops groups, at, the, at work, at university, wherever it is. We want to be the kind of people who are willing to give away our last rollo. Are you willing to be that person? Yes. <laughs> Come on, Steve. And as a church, we want to reflect that. Um, so we just want to we just want to let you know how we spend some of our money. Ian just highlighted some of the causes. Last in our last financial year, we give away fifteen percent of everything we got. And we want to be a church that demonstrates generosity. So um, we gave away to um, different movements which um, support church planting and strengthening both here in the UK as well across the world. Um, we've partnered with a church in Nepal um, and we give regularly to them as well as that we give to local causes like Glasgow City Mission. Um, and we just want to overflow with generosity. We don't want to be a stingy church. We just really want to overflow with it. And uh, we want to give in proportion to our income. So tithing is a stunning way that God ensured that the Israelites were providing, need, providing the needs of his people. It worked out about 10% of uh, produce and income. And we think that's a great figure to think about as we start giving. It helps us figure out how we might give in proportion to the income that we have. But now, let's be really clear you are free from any rule about what to give. You're totally free. Because the emphasis in the New Testament is generosity. And we think it's a good place, to, a good guide of where to start because, well, if God said that that's what the Israelites should do, well, maybe that's a great place for us to say, that's, what I want, that's where I want to start doing it. And then let your generosity grow. So the point of the New Testament emphasis wasn't so that we could just be free and think, oh, well, I don't, don't have to give anymore. <laughs> it was to be free to give more because we see so much more of the goodness of God and his lavish generosity towards us. As a writer, Kevin DeYoung, he said this, whether the Old Testament requirement is a binding prescription or not, he's talking about tithing. the glory of God in the face of Christ and enjoy great poorest Israelites give out the generosity of your heart but 10% is a good guideline to begin in giving proportion proportionally to your income great. second last one we want to give with sacrifice you see generosity of the heart doesn't mean that there isn't sacrifice involved. It's part of what it means to take up our cross. C.S. Lewis said of financial giving, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. So what does that look like for us? Perhaps it's one less takeaway a month. Perhaps it's one less TV subscription. One less expensive take, uh, getaway a year. He said, for all of us, this will look slightly different. But the, the heart behind sacrifice is that we want to free up our resources so we can be generous. We want to model generosity to a world that is watching us. We want to be so radically different to the way that the world out there spend our money. So what is it we need to sacrifice 
in order to be generous. Again, our, our, our friend Randy um, is, <laughs> is so good on this point. He says, sacrificial giving is truly living for eternity. He then reminds us of the point he made again earlier in the book, which says we are nothing more than a dot in an eternal story. Uh, can you tell we've been reading the same book? <laughs> All right, uh, the last one is this, in quiet, in quiet. Um, Cameron's internship uh, his uh, just giving, is it just giving? Something like stewardship. Stewardship, stewardship page. Uh, it actually has an anonymity box, okay? Now, no judgment to anyone who's given to that already and hasn't taken the anon- anonymity box, okay? But if you were struggling while looking at this to take the anonymity box, I just want to ask why? Why do you have an issue with that? What's going on in your heart there? Now, Again, no judgment. People might just invest the box, okay? <laughs> it's just a good example of if you were struggling with it, then let's ask why that is. Because Jesus said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that you're giving maybe in secret. So we're not like rich philanthropists who often like to publish how much they've given away and the plaques commemorating their gift. I, mean, I always find it so shocking that there were once pews or organs paid for in churches with people's plaques on them commemorating their, their gift. Whoa! <laughs> That's how you know the church is going the wrong direction, guys. Like, this is about our hearts, and if it's about our hearts, we should be able to do this in secret and quiet. Now, there are, there are exceptions. There are times where, where maybe it's going to be, we're going to use someone as a story like Jesus did with the widow. Um, who came with just a couple of pennies and he made her an example of somebody who was giving so much more even though it was actually less than the amount that she gave she was giving so much more because even though all these rich people were putting lots in Jesus knew that she was giving much more in proportion to her income and was giving with such great generosity so there might be exceptions like that but most of the time in quiet nobody needs to know Okay, brilliant. Johnny, before we finish, let me ask you some practical questions. We've been going a while, haven't we? We have 38 minutes. Wow. <laughs> wow. You guys are doing super well. I don't see anyone sleeping, so that's really good. Well done. <laughs> um, so, some people are going to be giving for the first time, all right? Um, so tell me, what do you do before you and Lynn decide what to give regularly to the church? Yeah, that's a good question. So we... Um, Again, Lynn, correct me if I'm wrong. But, <laughs> so what, what we like to do is we just, we, I'm a bit of a spreadsheet geek, so we have a, we have a budget that we keep, um, and I just like to kind of review that regularly. So we, we genuinely do see our giving to the church as, as first fruits. Um, it, we get our income and we, we want to give it away to the church. That is our kind of thing. We're, like, we're never going to touch that. Like That's not an area that we're going to sacrifice. We need to go on holiday. I'm not going like, to pool our giving so we can pay for our flights or anything like that. Um, so um, we, we do that. And um, yeah, I think, I think why do that? We look for opportunities to have people in our house and cook them a meal or, or whatever it is, or to give people a lift somewhere or, or just whatever it is. It kind of goes beyond financial giving um, in terms of generosity. But yeah, that is kind of where we, where we stand. Great. And actually, we're all growing in this, right? Mm. So sometimes better than other times. Yeah, definitely. Right. 
Um, and I think, honestly, in our culture, like, we have to just keep growing, like, keep encouraging one another. Let's keep growing the gift of giving and uh, watch, your, watch your faith grow as you do. Um, all right, practical question. How do you pay that? So we pay ours in a standing order, so it just comes out of our um, bank account monthly, so I think there will be details hopefully on the screen coming up if someone wants to give that way. Um, we also have different options, so we have got a, a new box at the back of the room, so if people want to give in cash, they can do that as well. Um, but yeah, we do it um, digitally online through our banking. And how do you make sure that that's not just transactional for you, but still worship? Yeah, so I think for us, we... Um, I think we try to go beyond that. So we, we see our sort of um, standing order, our monthly standing order as our kind of first fruits as a, as a start. And then I think beyond that, we try to sort of demonstrate um, or try to step into generosity, both financially as well as opening up our home and stuff um, beyond that. Okay, brilliant. Um, and you were telling me that you do like a bit of a review from time to time. Yeah. And I guess that will help you as well like, to yeah. keep it from just being transactional, because that's what you don't want, even though the standing order is brilliant, yeah. it's such a helpful way of doing it, it's helpful if you notice each month, and maybe if you're not noticing, then that's the time to kind of challenge yourself, like, can I go further? Uh, all right, what about this weird scam thing that we do? It's not a weird scam, but um, it look, could look a bit like, oh, what's that? Uh, where you have to fill in this form and mm. sign some stuff off, and like, it's about tax and the government, and what is that, come on. Yeah, so, it's not a scam, first point to make. Just to be really clear, it's not a scam. Um, so the, the, the government have got a really generous um, policy that allows for charities to claim about 25% of any income or giftable income. So if you donate a pound to the church, um, we could get an extra 25 pence on top of that. Um, in order to do that, we need to have a signed form with your postcode and your address on it. So um, if you are one of those people that give to the church or are giftable, um, there's some forms at the back corner just over there um, on the way out. I'd love to um, get you to fill in one of those because it's just a great way to be able to hand this one out. Pardon? Yes, tax? no, it's for, for those who pay tax. If you don't pay tax, oh, yeah. then don't fill out one of the forms. Because you're asking if I pay tax. tax. <laughs> I do pay tax. <laughs> it's important. We should have talked about that. We should have, yeah. We should. Is that why we didn't want to teach you yeah. about that? <laughs> um, yes, so hey, all this to say, God's been extraordinarily generous, generous to us. Yeah. He's not just paid the price for our sin. But he's also continuing to lavishly pour out his grace upon us. Jesus has shared his inheritance with us and one day we'll receive it in full. He is generous and good. And we can put our faith in him. We can trust him. And because we can trust him and because he has been so generous to us, we should be full of faith and generosity in our giving. Not just to the church, but in every area of life. So you'll see that there is a pledge uh, form on your, on your chairs. And what we want to, to do over the next two weeks is to uh, ask you to go away and pray and think, what is it that you're giving now? And what could you pledge to give more? So maybe that's for you, that's right now I'm not giving anything. So go away and pray and think, God, how, how much should I be giving here? And then, and we ask the question, could we give more? Could we give more here? 
So what we've asked is we go away and pray and think about that, fill them in uh, and bring them back and um, hand them to, we'll probably make a box available so it's like anonymous and things, especially if we just talked about doing it quiet. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll do that and we'll also uh, get an option there for doing it online. Um, so that'll be an email this week. All right, well, that's plenty for us. It is. Let's get on our feet.